Hello, it's Bernard Nomberg with the Nomberg Law Firm in Birmingham, Alabama. Each month, we put out a new episode of WorkComp Today. These shows deal with the news of employers, employees, and independent contractors, typically dealing with injury claims, workers' compensation claims, employment matters, and all things related. Thank you for stopping by our podcast. We hope you'll enjoy this month's episode. Our guest is attorney David Manchetti from Illinois. Dave is a fantastic lawyer who concentrates on work comp, and we have a very good conversation about some of these timely topics that are impacting our practices. Thank you again for stopping by work comp today. If you like this episode of work comp today and want to hear future episodes, please consider subscribing to our channel. We put these episodes out each month, about a week to 10 days after they're live on YouTube. Also, it would really help us out if you would consider giving us a five-star review and rating, and we would sure appreciate it. Thank you again for tuning in to Work Comp Today. Welcome, everybody. Today is Thursday, January 26th. Happy New Year to everyone. This is our monthly work comp today. I want to welcome Brother David back in. He's always the lively one of the bunch. How are you doing today, Dave? I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. And it's uh, January 26th, and you just wished us a Happy New Year. And that's the uh, latest anyone's wished me a Happy New Year this year. So uh, right now, you're in the leader. If I didn't know you any better, I'd think that was sarcasm, sure but I think you're being honest right there. But we hadn't been on our monthly show since around Thanksgiving time, so that was appropriate. But you and I can quit fussing and welcome our guest this evening, or our, our colleague, our, our friend Dave Manchetti out of the Chicago area. Dave, welcome to the show. Hope you're doing well, and good luck surviving this 45-minute show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Certainly, certainly. This is David calls this basically this this show should be re, retitled Work Comp for Nerds because we talk about work comp and we address the issues that are going on with employers, employees, and independent contractors. We try to find articles of interest that address all of that from the previous month, and that's why we're here and we're pleased to have Dave as our guest. But Dave, before we jump into this month's articles. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your firm and what's going on at your practice. So I, I certainly qualify as a workers' comp nerd. So again, thank, thanks for having me. And uh, I've been doing this for about 35 years or more, representing people who get hurt at work. I have offices here in Chicago, where there are six other lawyers who represent injured workers but we practice all throughout the state of Illinois. Uh, we've had cases that have started with the arbitrators, which are the trial judges in Illinois and taken cases all the way through the Illinois Supreme Court. So our firm represents injured workers all around Illinois and through every level of a workers' compensation case. And pretty much that's all we do here is represent injured workers and workers' compensation cases. Well, very good, very good. And as a side, um, when you're not practicing law, we know you're on the mean streets 
running through Chicago and many other places. And we just wanted to, to, to tout your abilities. I know you ran the Chicago Marathon and you're getting ready for who knows what's the next endeavor for you. So continued success with that. We know you enjoy it. Thanks. Certainly, certainly. All right, gentlemen, let's jump into our first article of this episode. Pro athletes want workers' compensation for their injuries. Now, before we really jump into this, this article really, I think, comes out of Canada, but we're going to talk a little bit about Canada. We're going to talk a little bit about the United States because we actually have two articles on this same issue. And obviously, the second one, guys, deals with football player uh, DeMar Hamlin from uh, the Buffalo Bills. You, Dave, have a much more advantage to, than we do in Alabama because you got all the major sports, professional sports in Chicago. Have you guys ever represented any of those athletes in similar such claims? Yes, we, we've represented uh, not only athletes in the four kind of marquee sports, but we've represented athletes in other leagues, um, including minor league uh, baseball uh, players. So um, that's because in Illinois, all professional athletes are covered under workers' compensation. So as opposed to some other states or different from some other states where some athletes are excluded from workers' compensation coverage one way or another, either through case law or through statute or through some uh, payment mechanism, in Illinois, all professional athletes are covered under workers' compensation. So an athlete who gets hurt on the job, so to speak, playing in Illinois is covered. Well, we're going to test to see if Alabama, David, actually read these articles. Dave, are Canadian professional athletes covered? What, what do you take from there? The short answer is no. And therefore, that shows I did read the article. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, it's very interesting. Um, and it seemed that the uh, Canadian Football League uh, was is kind of the leader in in trying to keep or prevent professional athletes in Canada uh, from being covered under work comp and uh, took, took issue with, with their stance on that. You know, it really is quite contrary to down in the, in the continental United States because, and this is without us really delving into the fact that there are collective bargaining agreements that cover the athletes that are negotiated for there's also whatever particular state, either where they were injured, there may be a, a jurisdiction or venue clause in those contracts, but what if you get hurt in California, but you're based out of Kansas, I mean, Kansas City, which state's laws apply, or as we know, and Dave, I'm sure you and Illinois have handled where multiple jurisdictions may apply for, for benefits. And so it's always an interesting contrast of law to see what you can do for the, the injured worker. Right. And in Illinois, workers who get hurt in Illinois, no matter where they live or where their employer is, are covered by the Illinois workers' compensation law. So um, that and that includes professional athletes. So um, you're, you, you play for the San Diego Chargers and you come to Chicago and get hurt at Soldier Field. That's an Illinois workers' compensation case. So, um, no matter where you, no matter where that athlete might live, or you know where he signed his contract or whatever, 
Um, the fact is, if he gets hurt in Illinois, it's an Illinois workers' compensation case. Dave, a quick question for you. Uh, say you're, you're representing a, a football player with a million-dollar salary, and he's injured, and he's unable to uh, practice or play for several months. It, it, does he get a temporary – does he have received temporary total disability benefits? And, and if so, how, is he capped? Is there a limit on how much is paid? And then is there a cap um, if he's permanently partially disabled? Uh, in other words, does, what does that big salary do to his compensation benefits? So a, a, a large salary like that probably negates the workers' compensation benefits because there's a credit that the organization, the team would get uh, for whatever other compensation is paid to that athlete. So for example, some athletes, either through the general collective bargaining agreement or through their own individual contracts have continuation of salary, guaranteed salaries, right? So if they get hurt, they never play a, a game again, they're getting their salary no matter what. That would of course negate the, the, the workers' compensation benefits because those salaries are so much bigger than what the workers' compensation benefits are. But, you know, most athletes, most professional athletes are not these gigantic wage earners, right? In fact, a lot of the professional athletes are earning minimum salaries. And in some of the leagues, the minimums are not as big as you might think they are, right? So that um, a workers' compensation case to those kinds of professional athletes, the ones on the minimum salaries or the, the smaller salaries are very valuable to, to, to the athlete. Well, guys, that's going to lead us into our next related topic, dealing with the Buffalo Bills player who had essentially a cardiac arrest on the field. And it was so surreal, unlike any sports that has been shown on live TV in such a, maybe ever, but in, certainly in a long, long time. But what I want to take from an angle is talk about heart attack cases in the workplace. We've looked at so many of those over the years. So, David, I'm going to start with you. We've had them in over-the-road trucker cases. We've had them in other scenarios. What's your take? How can a heart attack case be a compensable case in Alabama yeah. from a work comp standpoint? Yeah, so often we have to turn these cases down because it's not enough for the, for the employee to have a heart attack at work and for it to be covered by work comp. That's not enough. Um, they have to not only be doing their job duties here in Alabama, um, but there has to be, they have to be exerting themselves. Um, um, as, for instance, you said a truck driver driving, uh, driving an 18 wheeler, that's probably not enough uh, to be found compensable in Alabama. There, there have to be, exerting themselves and typically doing something more than uh, just what an average person would be doing around the house. Uh, we're successful in these cases when there's a lot of lifting of heavy objects, uh, they're, they're working for long periods of time in a stressful environment or a hot environment that creates that cardiac event. Dave, what about in Chicago? What about how do you deal with heart attack cases? 
So pretty much in the same way that, that David just talked about, which is that if there is some kind of physical stimulus that causes the heart attack, um, that's considered to be covered under workers' compensation here in Illinois. Um, and again, it, it, it helps to have that physical stimulus be kind of more than just the general physical exertion of a, of a normal kind of job, although it's not necessarily required. You know, there, a physical exertion of any kind uh, is considered to be covered under workers' comp as long as you can prove that medical causal connection between the exertion and the heart attack. But in Illinois, we also recognize a, a different category of heart attack cases, which are the heart attack cases that are caused by mental stressors or mental stimulation only, right? So a person who has a very high pressure um, job and that no physical exertion, but you know, extremely high pressure, you know, having to make a certain sale or having to, you know, balance a, 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 a certain account or something like that, the mental stress that sometimes can cause these cardiac events is considered to be covered under workers' comp here in Illinois. So um, we, we call those mental physical cases, right? Where a mental stressor causes some type of physical reaction like, like a heart attack. And those are covered under workers' comp here in Illinois. They're not easy to prove, but but theoretically they're they're covered. Bernard, the answer no. to your next question is no. What's the question? You knew the question. How does Alabama treat a mental into physical case? Uh, Dave, that's fascinating. And uh, I'm glad your state has such a law to help protect those uh, individuals in those stressful environments. Uh, but no such thing exists in uh, the great state of Alabama. Uh, in fact, we have to have our, our, our employees uh, injured workers in Alabama, there has to be a physical injury first in order to get to uh, coverage under uh, the psychological or the mental aspects of the case. There's got to be physical, then mental. We don't have mental, physical, or mental, mental. Yeah. And in Illinois, we don't have the mental, mental. We have the other ones, but the, the mental, mental are the ones that we don't have. So a mental stressor that... Um, causes some kind of mental breakdown is not yes. considered compensable. But there is an exception even to that, which is that if the mental stressor was some type of horrific incident that caused the mental breakdown, then that could be covered. So the uh, example in Illinois is a coworker witnessing uh, another worker's arm being torn off by a machine. And that worker, even though was not injured physically, having witnessed that, having some type of mental breakdown, that's considered to be covered because it's a horrific uh, kind of mental stressor. And, and think about first responders who witness horrific, gruesome things. They're not covered uh, unless there's a physical injury yeah. first. And, and in Illinois, this concept has, of course, uh, developed into the you know law enforcement and first responder areas. So those are pretty common cases here in Illinois. And I think Florida most recently in the last year or two was, was able to pass laws along those lines. It's probably the closest to us. 
But Dave, as we do on most of our episodes, most months, we're going to address changes that deal with the largest, largest employers in the country. And we have two such this week or this month. We have Amazon and we have Home Depot. And so we're going to start with the Home Depot article that addresses their new changes in pay for hourly employees. Did you get a chance to, to dive into this one? You take anything away that may impact uh, your practice or anything that goes on with y'all in Illinois? Yes. So, you know, in Illinois, all of workers' compensation benefits are based on the employee's average weekly wage, right? So their, their lost time benefits, whatever permanent injury benefits they might be entitled to are based on the average weekly wage. So anything that increases the average weekly wage is a good thing for injured workers. If they've been unfortunate enough to get hurt at work, at least um, their benefits will be based on higher average weekly wages. So if, if what um, Home Depot is saying here is that they're going to start rounding uh, things up to the next highest 15-minute uh, payment schedule or next half hour payment schedule, then if that increases the average weekly wage, that's good for uh, injured workers. Um, I, I don't necessarily think Home Depot was doing this out of the goodness of their uh, hearts or, you know, because they, uh, you know, wanted to somehow reward their employees. I think they were actually feeling some pressure for from some wage and hour complaints that they might have been receiving either from the feds or from the, the state governments where, where they do business. And so I think this was kind of a, a, a stopgap or a, a kind of a, a preventative measure from those wage and hour complaints kind of moving any further down the line. Yeah, I suspect in the uh, over the course of this year and next, this is this article and this topic are not going away. And I bet it now serves notice to other large employers who use the check-in system uh, to look at their own policies. So maybe it'll turn, it, it does some good for employees everywhere uh, across the board. Dave, I, I don't know if there's anything else to, to go in for that. So I, we can move on to long COVID is keeping people out of work for months. Well, that's kind of no, no kidding. But what, Dave, I'm going to go with you on this one. What, I guess, take it to our practice, to our firm. Are you seeing a lot of this issue pop up? I have not yet, but you know, our practices, we don't talk every day about everything, but what, what are you seeing dealing with long COVID impacting either your current cases or folks calling in inquiring if they have other rights to deal with it? Which Dave are you asking to respond? Alabama Dave. <laughs> um, I do know of, uh, long COVID or long hauler COVID cases that are currently making their way through the Alabama court system. Uh, they are not my cases, um, but they are being pursued. Um, I have not talked to any potential clients in some time about uh, who are dealing with long COVID issues, but as this article discusses, it, it is impacting a lot of people for a very long period of time, months and months, potentially going back to a year or more. 
Um, and it is, uh, it sounds horrible and very debilitating to people that were uh, interviewed in this article. And it's knocking them out of work for months at a time. And in turn, it impacts how companies and businesses are able to be productive and get things done. And this is going to be many years down the road, continuing to talk about this. Um, Dave, what about you and your practice in Illinois? Any any impact or are you de dealing with long COVID issues? Yeah, I, I think we are dealing with long COVID issues. And I think we're dealing with long COVID issues in, in greater numbers than are in the general population. And what I mean by that is I think workers who have contracted long COVID through exposures at their jobs are more likely to file workers' compensation cases, right? Because they have these long-lasting, lingering issues that they need to be treated or they need compensation for. Whereas the you know, person who had COVID and maybe was out of work for two or three days, um, but you know, has kind of recovered and it was kind of a mild case, I don't think those people are going to be filing workers' compensation cases. I think the people who are going to be filing workers' compensation cases are the people who do have long COVID. So I think we're going to see a higher proportion of long COVID cases in the workers' compensation population than we are kind of in the general public, because those are exactly the kind of people who need the protection of workers' compensation benefits. Yep. Um, I... I just, I know we're going to end up addressing this again uh, in the upcoming months, as, as are most of these articles, particularly dealing with COVID, particularly dealing with large employers around the country. So, fellas, let's move on to our next article. Um, but, Brother David, I want you to explain in general, before we get into the article, what is subrogation typically in Alabama dealing with third-party cases, workers' comp? Just uh, it, it's such a foreign concept to most people, even to lawyers who have to deal with these cases. But what is subrogation in its general terms and how is it impact into a workers comp claim? Sure. I'll, I'll try to explain subrogation by giving the best example that I know how. Um, if uh, an employee is injured while working and let's say they're injured in a car accident and another automobile hits them. And so, so work comp starts paying for their medical treatment and work comp uh, pays uh, their compensation while they're off work. If that injured worker is able to recover money from the other driver's insurance, then in Alabama, the injured workers work comp company uh, has the right of subrogation, which means they have the right to be reimbursed for, for the medical benefits and the compensation that they pay to the injured worker. Um, that, that is uh, subrogation as best I can explain. And it's in a sense, it prevents a, a double recovery, um, but it allows the work comp insurance company to get some of their money back from the injured worker, if the injured worker makes a recovery, a financial recovery from a third party, that third party being the insurance company for the other driver. Dave, thank you, David. Dave, do you deal with subrogation issues? And if you do in workers' comp, 
how difficult is it to explain to the client that there really can't be fully double recovery in this scenario and that the law trumps their right to keep all the money that's recovered? It is difficult to explain because most people who are severely injured don't think of it as getting double recovery, right? They, they think of it as getting the recovery that they are entitled to receive for having sustained very, very serious injuries. And of course, this idea of pursuing a third party other than the employer really stems from the workers' compensation law itself, right? Where the workers' compensation law says to an injured worker, your only recourse against your employer, as negligent as your employer might have been, your only recourse against your employer is through workers' compensation, right? We call that exclusive remedy. So if that compensation is not enough to adequately compensate the injured worker, then the injured worker is always looking for a third party, right, to, to make them whole, so to speak, right? And so this all stems from this idea that the exclusive remedy against the employer for injuries is through workers' compensation. So if there's additional compensation to be had against a third party, that's what this is all about. In Illinois, the subrogation rate is 75%, and that's by statute. So workers' comp gets back 75% of what it paid out if the injured worker makes a recovery against a third party. So it's, it's the 75% rule in Illinois. And um, it, that's pretty much a hard and fast rule. There's, um, although sometimes workers' comp is willing to negotiate that, they don't have to. Um, it's, 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 put, it's in our statute and it's, um, it's, it's law. We don't have a, a hard, fast rule with that, do we? It's, it's really, I mean, there's no set percentage. Well, you, the formula takes into consideration uh, the lawyer's fee and expenses, a pro rata share. So in other words, work comp has to uh, take on a pro rata share of the lawyer's fee and expense, which can be, you know, a third to 50% on the third party case. So a little, a little different than what they've described, but, but in a sense, very you know, similar concept. No. It's just, I think the hardest thing is explaining to the client why this has to happen, how it has to happen before they can even see their money most right. of the time. Yeah, and, and it's hard to explain to a, a client why they should expend time and energy and expense chasing down a third party when all that they're going to do is just pay back workers' comp, right? That there's nothing in it for them at the end. And that, that's difficult to explain sometimes. Had a client once explain it or describe it as, what is it, uh, paying Peter to, wait, paying Peter to rob Paul or robbing Peter to pay Paul? Um, well, anyway, <laughs> for those of you who are just joining us or maybe you're watching on the replay later on, want to welcome you all. This is our monthly show, Work Comp Today, where David and I and one of our buddies from somewhere in the country, your fellow practitioner, we talk about the news that impacts employers, employees, and independent contractors. 
whether we're talking about the gig economy or COVID or Home Depot, Amazon, whomever. If it's making the news, we want to be able to kind of break it down based on how we see things, how it impacts the state of Alabama and our practice, how for this month's episode, our friend Dave Manchetti in Chicago area, how it impacts Illinois. And so for our final article for this month, we're moving on to Amazon, which is a, an easy target, typically. Um, Amazon Union retains work, workers' comp lawyer in New York. And, and fellas, before we really delve into that, this same Staten Island location, I think, has been in the news for many months because I think they were one of the first to unionize, I believe, if I remember correctly. David, you remember us talking about this a little bit months ago? Yeah, that ring. Yeah, that rings the bell, and it's it's referenced in the article as well about they they did uh, unionize this particular fulfillment center. Uh, last remember they made a run spring. at it. They made a run at it in Bessemer, just near uh, Birmingham, near us, Dave, uh, and it did not pass, which is not surprising uh, around here. Uh, by chance, do any of you guys know the McIntyre Donahue? Uh, et cetera, et cetera, law firm or this lawyer, Sean Riordan or Reardon. Uh, no. I didn't know if he was a Wilg member or, or somebody you guys may have known. Unfamiliar to me. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know the firm. Well, we'll get back to Wilg in just a minute. But is there anything that we can take from this other than this is just more information that or just a, a, a little bit piece of news that things are still continuing to evolve, at least with this particular Amazon location. Yeah, um, so my, my advice to people who work for Amazon who get hurt at work is to lawyer up because Amazon uh, can take some very strong positions uh, against their workers in these cases. So, um, and, they, and they, have, they have the top-notch lawyers you know, in the country representing them, representing Amazon. So if you're an injured worker and you're going up against Amazon, considering consider hiring a lawyer because they're going to have a lawyer representing them. I, I think at least the last two Amazon cases that I have this past year, I ended up having to file suit. We resolved them, but they do not do anything that helps the injured worker, at least in a, in a timely manner at, at all. Amazon and its third-party insurance carrier, um, in my opinion, have become the worst employer and carrier in handling work comp claims. And it's resulting in more litigation, from my perspective, than is necessary. But that's how they're treating their folks after they get hurt at work. And they're just inviting lawsuits as a result. It doesn't have to be that way, but that's the that's the route they want to go. Well, fellas, that's that's all our articles for this month. But we the other part of each show that we do is we want to we want to compare certain aspects of the work comp claim and the laws and procedures, the, the, the meat and potatoes of our practices, frankly, with the home state of our guests, Dave being from Illinois. Uh, which, which, and I say this with every guest, which has much more progressive laws than our state of Alabama. Uh, but what, what I want to do is I, I want to start with, with you, Dave, in Illinois, and I want to talk about 
how you resolve work comp claims, either through trials or settlements or both. We can do both in Alabama, but we also are a litigation-based system, meaning we go in front of a circuit court judge to have a trial. We may be the only, are we the only ones in the country, David? Yes. I think, I think so. So Dave, take us into the Illinois process. How do you, how do you resolve your claims? So all claims in Illinois go through a state agency called the Illinois Workers' Compensation Commission. So that's the kind of quote unquote court for workers' compensation cases. It's the Illinois Workers' Compensation Commission. And just like you here in Illinois, we can resolve a case either through settlement or through trial. In fact, those are the only two ways that a case can be resolved. It's one or the other of those two things. A settlement, as it sounds and implies, is a voluntary agreement between the parties to completely close out the workers' compensation case for a sum of money, right? And um, when I say completely close out the case, I'm talking about future medical rights under that case too. So in Illinois, you can close out your medical rights through a settlement, which is different from some other states. That has to be done on a particular kind of document that then has to be approved by the Illinois Workers' Compensation Commission. So in Illinois, we have settlements that are officially approved by the quote-unquote court that handles these kinds of cases. Settlements happen in approximately 80 to 90 percent of the cases in Illinois. So a very large number of the cases that are filed get resolved through settlement. About 10 or 15 percent of the cases have to go to trial and then it's a trial process just like anywhere else. There's a, a judge, we call him an arbitrator, who decides the case. There are appeal rights to the commission, to the circuit court, to the appellate court, to the Illinois Supreme Court. So um, trials do happen in Illinois, but only in about, I, I don't know, 10 to 20% of the case, something like that. Dave, take us through basically our, our program, how we... Yeah. Um, so we are the only state uh, where that doesn't have an administrative system for uh, resolving work comp matters, David. If there is a uh, dispute in a work comp case, uh, we take that directly to the circuit court level here in Alabama, which is our trial court level, our judges... Uh, who handle a work comp case or a work comp trial are the same judges that would handle a medical malpractice case, a criminal capital murder, uh, uh, divorces. They, you know, they would handle uh, most anything like that, including work comp. Uh, we don't. So our very few of our judges uh, specialize or only do work comp. It's very few in the state that, that you could say that is the the work comp judge in that county. Um, much like Illinois, very few of our cases go to trial. We're probably at about 90% uh, that, that, that settle. Um, we have a very good 
uh, mediation program throughout the state of Alabama through the Alabama Department of Labor Ombudsman Program. It is a free service. Uh, so many cases uh, get resolved through the Ombudsman Program. We also have uh, private lawyers who serve as mediators in work comp cases. Uh, and we get a lot of cases resolved uh, that way as well. Um, so if we try a case, a lot of our cases that do go to trial are tried on a, a bifurcated basis, meaning we're uh, having a trial to determine compensability. Um, and then once compensability is established, if we need to have a second trial uh, to determine degree of disability, we do that as well. I think we've, we've covered that. The, the next, I was gonna talk about third-party subrogation claims, but we really have covered that in that article earlier. Yeah. Let's talk about in Alabama, what does it mean to be an at-will employment state? What kind of benefits, what kind of uh, security or safety nets do workers, whether they're hurt or not, have, Dave, in our state? Yeah, well, we, Alabama is an at-will employment state, so therefore most employees in the state are at-will. And essentially, that means that they can uh, leave a job for any reason or they can be fired for any reason, for no reason, a good reason, a dumb reason, a bad reason. The employer doesn't have to have a reason to end the employment relationship. Again, very few employees actually have an employment contract or are union employees in the state of Alabama. So therefore, if a, an employer fires the employee, unless they're violating just a handful of, of state laws or federal civil rights laws, there's really no recourse for the employee as far as wrongful termination. Yeah, I think being in a union where there is a union contract, that helps to a certain extent. If you're hurt on the job, we have anti-retaliation laws, state and federal, but you're right. I think that other than that, if it's purple shirt day and you come in in red shirt, or there didn't even have to be a reason. What about Illinois and it's much more progressive laws? How do they treat that status? Yeah, so uh, unfortunately, Illinois is not um, as progressive as I would hope it would be regarding at-will employees because that's generally the law in Illinois too. So, you know, unless you have a union agreement or a, a employment contract of, of some other sort, you are an at-will employee in Illinois. Um, we do have a provision in our workers' compensation law that is an anti-retaliation provision that says that an employer cannot take a retaliatory action like firing an employee because that employee has exercised her rights under the Workers' Compensation Act. But those cases are extremely difficult to prove, right, because you know, uh, employers can come up with many pretextual reasons for firing somebody other than the workers' compensation case, right? And you you actually need a smoking gun or a, you know, direct connection between the injured worker pursuing rights under the workers' compensation law and the, the retaliation in order to be able to succeed in one of those kinds of cases. You know, we, we joke around that you need the, 
the email from the human resources director that says, you should never have filed that workers' compensation case against us because now you're fired, right? And of course, um, as we talked about earlier, these employers are represented by high-powered law firms who tell them never, ever put the words workers' compensation and you're fired in the same document, right? Don't do it, right? And when the employee asks you, why are you firing me? Say, I don't have to tell you, right? You're fired. Yeah. Right? So um, we do have retaliation cases, but they're really tough to prove and um, they're difficult to win. Dave, if you pursue one of those claims in, in court or whatever the process or procedure, is that in front of a jury? Is it an actual trial or is it a tribunal? Or where do you adjudicate those? Yeah, so so that our, our Supreme Court here in Illinois has said that that's a common law action. So that's not something that is adjudicated by our Workers' Compensation Commission, which is the administrative uh, body that does regular workers' compensation cases. Those are actually separate um, tort cases that can be tried in circuit court in front of a jury, including... Uh, the imposition of punitive damages, right? Um, so that that's really where the, the hammer comes down on employers who have retaliated against injured workers for filing a workers' compensation case is, is through the punitive damages aspect of it. And, and really what you just described by the type of evidence and how difficult those cases are and bringing them in front of a jury, it's very similar in Alabama. They're very rare that jury verdicts come back or even get to that, that stage. Gentlemen, I think we have exhausted our topics and our information for this episode. But before we get out of here, I, I, I always want to make sure because all three of us belong to this wonderful National Work Comp organization. And Dave, you're now moving up in the uh, officers uh, group. I want you to talk a little bit about WILG and what it does and why it's important to all of us. Sure. Yeah, so uh, WILG is the Workers Injury Law and Advocacy Group. It is a, a nationwide organization comprised of lawyers who represent injured workers in work comp claims, uh, Defense Space Act, Longshore, uh, and both state and federal work comp. Uh, I think we have members from every state in the union. I think we're at about 1,100 members, and uh, these are some of the best and brightest work comp practitioners in the country, and it's enabled us to meet great lawyers from around the country like Dave, and um, just, yeah, that's, that's kind of it in a nutshell, but uh, it, it's it's good to know that there are uh, lawyers from around the country who are fighting the same fights we are fighting on behalf of our injured workers here in Alabama. And, and I've been a member maybe four, going on five years. You've been a member longer than I. Dave, what about you or other members of your firm? How has is, is Wilg impacted your practice and what do you see out of it? So I, I've been a member of Willig since the very beginning. Um, in fact, one of my partners, Chuck Haskins, was kind of part of the group that founded uh, this organization. So 
Uh, Chuck told me at that time, you must join Willig. And I always listen to what Chuck tells me to do. So um, I did it. Um, it it's it, it, it's a great organization. I'm going to disagree with one thing that David said. He said that Willig uh, has some of the best workers' comp lawyers in the country. No, Willig has the best workers' comp lawyers in the country. And I, I mean that, really. Um, and and I, I, I don't consider myself, you know, uh, on the level of, of some of these other members, but Willig lawyers are the elite workers' compensation lawyers in the country. We are, we are the elite lawyers. And I, I don't mean to sound like I'm blowing my own horn, but Willig is, is the thing. It is the elite group of workers' compensation lawyers. For any of you injured workers who might listen to this, right? One of the first questions I would ask a lawyer that I'm interviewing is, are you a member of Willig? Because it means a lot to be a member of this organization. Dave, I'm glad you corrected me. And going forward, uh, when I give that intro, I'm going to uh, use that. I'm going to okay. use what you said, I, I, because I don't need to sell our people short, because you are correct. They are the best. I have a better idea. Mr. Manchetti, would you like to replace David going forward as our, <laughs> one of our permanent co-hosts? <laughs> I don't know. Let me check with mom. She may get a little upset about that, but you always have an invitation. Well, with let, us, Dave. let me see. Let me see the contract terms before I agree to anything. So. Yeah. But thank you so much for joining us today. It's this my pleasure. Been, it's been a lot of fun. Thanks. It's It's been a lot of fun for us. I, again, this is work comp for nerds. This is what we do every day. We represent those who need it the most. It's the injured workers who's all Everything in their life, when they get hurt, everything ramps up from a stress standpoint. And Dave, I know your firm with multiple locations in Illinois, you guys do a beautiful job of providing answers when people need it. And we try to do the same in, in Alabama. And I certainly hope that our paths cross again in person soon, either at a WILG organization uh, event or sitting in the right field bleachers for a Cubbies game or somewhere along the way. What White Sox game. So. <laughs> nice. Nice. All right. As we do, Brother David, you get the parting last words. So take us out in style. Um, roll Tide. <laughs> uh, yeah, if right. you're, yeah. If you're a basketball fan, it's, it's good to be an Alabama basketball fan. Number two in the country right now. So we are much watch, must watch TV now. And, Hopefully a number one seed uh, in the NCAA tournament come March. So. Well, I don't know. If, I don't even know what to say to that at this point, other than it's still January. You got six more weeks of basketball. Guys, thank you again. Signing off for this month. We'll catch you with work comp today again in February.